This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. Joining us this week is the madman from Down Under, Eric Lathuris, famous for winning with Grey Knights and doing very well at CanCon with GSC, which we had all expected was dead. Clearly not. So Eric's here to talk to us about his GSC neophyte list, which I guess is kind of like Guardsmen. I have no idea how this thing works, so this should be an interesting discussion. Um, joining me, as always, is my co-host, Nick Nadavati, who doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. He's one of the best players in 40K history, and he's somebody that you guys should pay attention to because he really understands the game well. Um, and as always, this is episode one where we sort of get into the strategy of the list and uh, episode two will be available to our patrons where we talk about the tactics, where we get deep into the details of how to optimally play the list. So that being said, uh, Nick, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about Eric and let's get started talking about his list. Yeah, so Eric is actually one of our coaches here on The Art of War. So if you're interested in his list design and his ideas, you can go check him out at theartofwar40k.com. But aside from that, Eric has been dominating the scene over down under um, he is famous, as John said, for winning a GT with Grey Knights in their lowest of lows. And then he is famous for his Gaunt Carpet, which is one of the highest scoring armies on Team Australia last year at ETC and has won many GTs with them. And now he's decided to say, get to the Space Marine meta and all conventional wisdom in order to play Gene Stealer Cult at CanCon, which is Australia's largest tournament. Basically, they're equivalent of LVO. Not only that, but he went impressively 6-1, and one, I believe, losing to the eventual winner, who was playing Iron Hands, of course, by only one point on the bottom of turn six. If that's not a nail-biter, I don't know what it is. So I'm going to let Eric walk us through the list and uh, just explain his magic over there. So, Eric, why don't you do it? No worries. It's happening, guys. So I took this uh, <clears throat> pretty weird GSC list to CanCon. So we got a uh, bladed cog battalion with a jackal alphas primus, uh, four units of ten neophytes with two mining lasers, two webbers. Uh, then I had another bladed cog battalion, which was deliverance brood surge. Had a patriarch with familiar, who was the warlord, uh, acolyte icon ward, jackal alphas, a sanctus with a bio dagger, uh, a kelomorph, three units of fifteen. Neophytes with two heavy stubbers, two webbers, uh, a unit of 15 acolytes with six rock saws and a icon, and then another unit of two, uh, another two units of 10 neophytes with two mining lasers, two webbers. Then I had a mixed battalion with a bladed cog patriarch with familiar, a four armed emperor magus with familiar, a sanctus with the sniper. Uh, another two units of 15 neophytes with two stubbers, two webbers, 10 brood brothers, and five rusted claw jackals with demo charges. Uh, so basically, this list uh, wanted to null deploy as much as possible, uh, usually deploying two to three units of the big squads of neophytes, uh, typically backlining with the Patriarch and the Icon Ward, just to get that little bit of extra staying power against armies with a fair bit of indirect, like uh, double or triple Thunderfire Cannon. Uh, and then it would uh, it would just stagger its threats across the course of the game. So most times I would deep strike the <clears throat> uh, all the Mining Laser units first to kind of pull a few of the teeth out of whatever list I'm playing against. Usually they got one or two key units. Uh, when you dump 12 mining lasers and smites and mental onslaught and stuff into those units, you and usually end up killing or crippling them. Uh, and then when people start to kind of scramble to screen your rock saws or, or things like that, they 
they start to run pretty thin towards the front. Uh, it also ends up leaving their back exposed. So it's where the unit of five bikes came in handy and dropping in with lying in wait and uh, throwing demo charges at Thunderfire cannons or picking up little characters that are left stranded. Awesome. So there's a million questions I have. Uh, you have a lot of elements in the Gene Sitter cult list that are familiar to a lot of the older lists we saw prior to the Marine meta. Um, mining laser neophytes is something I've messed with a lot and with some other top-tier players to a lot of success. You have demo bikes, which even after the points increase, you decided to go for, so I'll ask about that in a second. Uh, obviously, you have like your standard support characters. You stuck with the Keller Morph even after his points increase. Um, but then you have some very unique stuff. Uh, you opted not to go for any aberrants. Makes total sense knowing you as a player, not liking those larger hard-hitting units. Um, but then also their points increase kind of put it in the nail in that coffin. Only one unit of Acolytes, though, is your main source of countercharge, or, or I guess charge in general, however you want to use them. No Flamer Bomb, um, Double Sanctus, one of which had the Bio Daggers. I don't even know where to begin. Why don't you... <laughs> Well, why don't you just go through all your choices, I guess, and kind of break them all down? What was the purpose of each of them? And I'll kind of ask some questions as we go. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so probably my favorite one was the Sanctus with the Dagger. Uh, I know most it's people also don't my know. favorite one. I'm legitimately curious. I think I know what you're doing with them, but I want to know. Yeah, I, I love this guy. So usually he was dropping in on turn three, because obviously cause you have to. Um, <clears throat> and then either on turn four or turn five, I'll return to Shadows with him. Uh, so after you've kind of spent a few turns hammering into their screens, there's, they're starting to run a bit thin. They start to run out of units to screen their backfield and things like that. He's Because when you get to the end of the game with GSC, you're pretty low on CP. So this guy being able to perfect ambush for free uh, actually ends up being amazing late game because he drops in on his own. Uh, he's either got the Void Worm Amulet or he gets the uh, Relic Dagger. Um, so he drops in on turn five or turn six if I really want to. Uh, moves D6 for free, and then he gets nice easy charges in the backfield on things like Thunderfire Cannons or all little characters <clears throat> that are left behind their castle, and he's, he's actually really quite good in picking them up. Uh, so he gets, with the Relic Dagger, he's got six attacks, hitting on twos, winning on twos. Uh, neg two, two damage, and if he does any wounds to them, they take D3 mortal wounds as well. Uh, so he's actually pretty good in cleaning up characters. And as bladed cog, you can do the uh, exploding fives against Imperium to get a shriek tax, so you can end up killing two characters pretty easily if they're sitting next to each other. That's absolutely sick. And one of the nice things I like about him is that other thing you mentioned, you can take the Voidworm Amulet, which is ignores uh, Overwatch, so you can have him lead the way for something like your Acolyte Bomb, uh, ignoring Overwatch into something really powerful like Centurions uh, with your perfect ambush for free dude and then launch your reroll charge from the Acolytes. Is that yeah, something you yeah. do often? Yeah, it was really good because uh, most times you kind of end up sacrificing a Patriarch a bit with the Amulet to throw him in. Um, whereas with this, I'm just throwing a 55 point character in. I'm not. I'm not super worried if he dies. Right, like it's not. It's not the end of the world. And he's right. actually really annoying to deal with to shoot at when he's got the Voidworm amulet. Because if he's so, most times I would charge. If he was using the, if he was my amulet bearer, I would charge in 15 neophytes with him. Mm -hmm. uh, so when they when they want to shoot at him. He's got a pretty good save and cover, getting plus two from his own rules and then another plus one from the amulet. Um, and then you got the lookout, the 15 blader wounds to look at Sir too as well. Yeah, that's really good. So uh, out of curiosity, um, how did you find your your lack of close combat compared to a more stereotypical Gene Circleist? Like you're much shootier with your, like uh, what is it? Six squads of mining laser neophytes, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're much shootier than usual, and then you have two larger squads of fifteen. I'm not really sure what they're about either. Um, that's five, five units, fifteen. You have five units of fifteen. Okay, okay, my bad. Yeah. So there's 135 neophytes on the table. Um, 
12 of which have mining lasers and some of them are just larger and have normal shots. What is, how are you using all these squads? Like, are they just bodies for the sake of bodies? Is there more to it? Like what's the purpose here? Uh, so wanted, so with the Australian meta, a lot of the top players opted to not play space Marines. Um, so I had to kind of think about that for a little bit because I knew, I knew one of them, especially Liam would be playing a horde. Uh, and I knew a couple other guys <clears throat> would be playing more model heavy lists. Uh, so the, the big units with the heavy stubbers and all 12, uh, 11 units with Webers uh, actually end up doing a lot of work to those lists, especially with the reroll wounds, warlord trait and getting real ones to wound from the Primus on something else. Uh, so I wanted that extra bit of horde clearing. Um, and even against even against Marines, like just being able to shoot uh, 10 stubbers at them for six turns, they they do a little bit. Like uh, if you're shooting at Marines out of cover with real wounds, you actually start killing a few. So it all, it all adds up. And all these little extra random shots that come out of this list that kill models really ends up making a big difference. Right. So... You kind of teched pretty well for the Horde meta, which is famous to Australia, to eventually lose to Marines. Do you think that was over-teching and ignoring that big elephant in the room that is Space Marines? Uh, I don't think so. Like, uh, so I, I played against five Marine lists, uh, all, all <laughs> Lion Hounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, clearly you didn't ignore Marines as much as you're playing right <laughs> Yeah, so I had I had ways to handle them, and because of those games, I figured, yeah, you know, I knew I was mostly going to be playing against Marines, and I didn't think I need to invest a lot of points into the combat side of GSC through acolytes because uh, most of the time, if you're taking big units of acolytes, you're trading, you're trading a big unit for a screen. Um, I covered that a little while ago, where I, where I said uh, I think. MSU Rocksaw units is the way forward for combat GSC. Right, uh, right. So I just wanted that one big unit in this list to be able to uh, to kind of clean up what was what was left. So I kind of pull apart the screen with all the shooting, and then on turn three or, or turn four, if I want to use Return to Shadows, drop the Rocksaws and kind of clean them out a bit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of like... Uh, how I used to use my rock saws, I would clear the screens with like aberrants and, and flamer bombs, and then the rock saws would come in and finish the day, or maybe a second to one. Just having something to show up on the later half of the game to basically end it once the screens are gone. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I love the tent there. So with Marines, though, they're, if they're assuming they're running intercessors and stuff, are way too tough to kill with just like random heavy stubber shots and a couple levers, especially if they're in yeah. cover or anything like that. So how do you, how did you go about dealing with Marines at all? Uh, so I, I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to see any like 80 intercessor lists. Sure. Um, so 40 was probably going to be the number. Uh, 40 is usually supported by nice characters and stuff like that. There's nothing really meaty behind the 40 intercessors. Right. It's just like characters, uh, so- artillery, that type of thing. Yeah, so most of the time they have like one or two big squads of intercessors and then a bunch of five man units. So what yeah. I'd do is I'd put I'd put uh rear roll wounds on their big unit and then rear ones to wound on their on another bigger unit. And mm-hmm. when I drop when I drop all the Laz cannons and all the webbers and all the heavy stubbers plus all the you spells right there. Yeah. Yeah, like even if I don't kill the full unit, like they're crippled, they're just down to nothing. Yeah. So if you I just only keep have twelve last games, really. So yeah. Uh, I mean, you hit on threes, reroll ones, let's say. So what's that's maybe eight or nine hits, and then you wound on twos, of course, unless they transhuman rerolling. Yep. Let's just say they all wound more or less, eight or nine wounds. That's if they're iron hands. That's only like four or five dead if they're doing the five of five ups, the stuff that Pharaoh's the apothecary. Yeah. So that, that's so that, that's not even a dent, really. Oh, well, five out of a ten-man unit, I, I think, is a is a bit of a. Okay, it's, it's a dead. It's a dead. <laughs> yeah, and like when you when you add the webs and stuff on top, you probably killed eight. Sure. Uh, with with the spells, maybe maybe you've managed to kill ten, but you've probably hit a different unit with spells. Right, right. Uh, and then you add the Kellamorph on top of that, because most of the time you would just he would just go into 
killing the screen instead of going for characters. Uh, so it's add on to that two damage. And the, the best part about this list is because I got only one rock saw bomb, there's I actually spend very little CP on fueling one unit. So I have a lot of command points to do a lot of a lot of different stuff that a lot of GSC lists don't get to do. Um, what do you mean? So they have a uh, lot of stratagems that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. Pretty much what people think about is just deep strike charging and that kind of thing. So what else can we do? Yeah. So something that's really cool that no one really ever uses because it's a CP investment that you really wouldn't want to do if you got something else to use them on, but is the uh, concealed explosives stratagem. I don't even know what that one does off the top of my okay, head. Okay, so you pick a you pick an enemy unit at the start of the shooting phase that's in cover. Uh, you roll a D6 on a 4+, plus, they take D3 mortal wounds. Uh, you get plus 1 if they have 10 or more models, and if you roll a 7, they take D6 mortal wounds. Okay, so just random, basically shooting smites at people for 2 CP. Yeah, so if you, like if you add that twice on top of all your shooting, if they're wanting to stick their 10-man unit of marines in cover, Right, right. It does add up. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and if they're not in cover, well, then your webbers actually do God's work. Like they actually stack a lot of saves. When you've got real wounds, they stack a lot of saves under that unit. Yeah, of course. And, you know, the Marines, there's only so much cover on the table, so you might not be able to get all the Marines in cover. Yeah, so you exactly. can get strat on one squad in cover and then Weber a different squad and actually add up on them. Yeah. And um, the, like... Most Marine lists are, are building their lists with other Marines in mind. So most most of the time, all the Intercessors you verse have Stalker Bolt Rifles, mm-hmm. uh, which means when I'm not dropping near you, like your actual volume doesn't really scare me at all. Right. <clears throat> the only volume that does something like Centurions. Well, we can cover that one over in the, the matchup section if that's easier. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Um, so... If they're protecting their Thunderfires really well, uh, the the Jackal bikes come into their element a bit in clearing out intercessors. How's that? Because like that, so that unit will just show up and them. then blow up like a bunch of intercessors. Even though D three damage versus intercessors, especially with Feel of Pain, is not doesn't feel great. No, it's not amazing. But on five D six shots with the there's a lot of shots. Yeah, rusted core stratagem is pretty damn good. Yeah, plus one, plus one, one, very strong. Um, yeah. So, did, were they? I'm trying to imagine what your army like does. It just kind of shows up and chips away, and then gets shot back, and then chips away again. Is that really all it is to it? Uh, pretty much. Like, and you're, you're looking <laughs> for you're looking for cheeky pins on characters with your big units and neophytes. Uh, that allows you to keep your rocks or unit. In a piece of terrain, making them untargetable with Lurk in the Shadows. Uh-huh. So you, can kind of, you don't have to commit that threat straight away, and then you can return to Shadows, and, and they have to keep screening you all game. So they get no broad control because they're too scared of losing important units. So the longer you can keep that up, the less time they have to really interact with you. You're also right. mitigating damage just by doing that because they're going to have units out of range. They're going to have units that aren't in line of sight, can't get good angles. So they're so losing a lot, of, a lot of damage just because they're scared of some of the things you're going to drop on them. Yeah. In most games, did you find that you were running really low on models towards the end of the game, but it didn't matter because you were so far up on the scoreboard? Or was it you were actually just killing your opponent? Uh, it was a bit of a mix really uh there's a few games where i would just hurt them too hard too early uh and then there's mm-hmm. some games some games where i'd try to run away with it early and then just hide and then a few games where i would i would just try to keep myself in combat and make it really hard for them to get shots on the units they needed to kill so i'd awesome. pick on certain parts of their army and try to make yeah, them yeah. fight me with little bits at a time and because they're worried about the rock saws dropping on top of them they can't they can't all push in one direction and be and be happy enough to fight me there because then yeah. they're going to take the rock saw unit somewhere they don't they aren't really ready for it. So, I mean, even if the rock saw bomb comes in and just picks up ten intercessors, isn't that something they can just eat to the face and then continue on if it's better for them to to grab some board control? Uh, I don't. I don't think it is. Uh, so if I drop all my mining laces and I I pick up 
15 or so intercessors or 20 intercessors in two turns from all the shooting and the spells and you give me yeah. another 10 for the rock swords uh you you've you've definitely lost that board control game 100% like you're down to 10 intercessors if that and i've right, you've right, still right. got that's just still not average to chew through now, with all these neophytes and whatnot, are you not just afraid of someone just charging you? Because at the end of the day, they're all just guardsmen. And you well, have some counterpunch for sure. The Patriarchs, the Roxas, the uh, Sanctus. But that's that's not that much versus a real combat army. Yeah, no, for sure. But uh, a real combat army is going to take a lot more damage from my shooting than a shooting list is. That's true. Uh, it's like true. a marine army that wants to get in combat. Uh, I'm obviously going to play a little bit differently, but most of them are still their combat's intercessor based, and I'm, yeah. I'm set up really Which well is, to kill it's them. It's still like a lot of attacks, though. Like intercessor with three attacks each are, are no joke against toughest yeah, three fives. What, what, what are you closing the gap with? Like ten intercessors? Like uh, all right, you pick up a unit of neophytes. It's cool. I just right. ten it's intercessors. Not... I'll pick up with my patriarchs. Like it's not a problem. Right, makes total sense. So I don't want to focus too much on the Marine match just yet. So let's uh, let's shift gears. What did you often deploy? Was there like a go-to, like I deploy this, I reserve this kind of strategy? Or um, yeah, how, so how did most, you do that? Most of the time I would deploy uh, the blips for five un- the five big units in Neophytes, a Patriarch, an Icon Ward, and the Magus. Okay. Um, so that would be on the table to start. Yeah, and then you would, de- depending how I wanted to play it or how the objectives were set up, I would probably pull three blips off from that. And then what would those three blips be? Uh, three three units of neophytes. Okay, so you could actually only deploy like 30 guys and a couple characters, and that's that's it. And that yep. was okay with you? Yep. Yeah, I guess if you, if you can make that decision in the moment and then realize, okay, this guy doesn't have enough indirect fire or whatever to really kill me, yeah. totally safe doing. Yeah, sometimes you have to be a little bit more careful than that, and I deploy a bit extra just for a bit of a safety blanket. Um, yeah. But most of the time, I was I was leaving myself with just that stuff. The the other one I was using to kind of reinforce that a bit was the stratagem to place three extra blips. Yeah, so they didn't really um, know so where you were. Yeah, yeah. So I was stopping those aggressive units, things like flyers or any other fast mm-hmm. assault units, just really stopping them from diving my castle. Right. One of my favorite tactics when I played Gene Circle for a while was to use that that strap for extra blips to keep flyer spam from blowing me up turn one. Yeah, it was really good. It was really, really good. <laughs> right. Awesome. So, um, I mean, your strategy makes sense, but how did you... I don't want to get too much into that, so I'll save that question. Um, I guess you're you're trying to play... A lot of times, what you to call a points race type of army, where you're where you're holding the table so hard that your opponents are struggling to score points. You're getting cold more. You're getting recon. Uh, whatever other secondaries make sense. It's not the hardest for you to accomplish, um, but you're often giving away kill, kill more, and butcher's bill and reapers. So that's a lot. That's a big chunk of change to just hand your opponent points wise. How did you kind uh, of yeah, overcome so that? When I was uh, picking where I wanted to hit them with all my deep strikes, uh, I would. You would try to set it up in a way where moving, like them moving to get angles, was really difficult for them. Uh, so that they ended up really relying on a couple of Thunderfire cannons to get themselves Butcher's Bill each turn, uh, which I mean is good. But when I've got six up, six up, it, it can get kind of dicey trying to kill twenty neophytes with two Thunderfire cannons. So if I've taken sure, away sure. the teeth that are near the near the neophyte drop because i'm i'm not dropping 12 away right like i'm dropping like 16 to 24 inches away uh, so their their retaliation yeah. is actually quite small uh, in comparison well i mean so if you if you drop 16 24 away the marine army has range to you it won't be like rapid fire or charging you but it's just got range um so it should be able to kill a couple squads no problem no? yeah like it depends again it depends on the list um, so a lot of lists that I played were Iron Hands with a few intercessors and three to five flyers. I uh, usually use three. Um, so my yeah. first drop would just be killing flyers. Right. You would blow up one flyer with mining lasers, blow up one flyer with demo bikes, and is there anything else you would do on that turn, or was that pretty much it? Uh, Smites and Mental Onslaught were usually pretty good. Yeah, okay, okay. 
Uh, and, then, and then from there, like, it's it's the same thing. If I'm dropping pretty far away, like, you're only shooting with TFCs because yeah. stalkers, stalker rifles aren't doing much to me. And because you're spread, because they're oh, spread right. so thin across their deployment zone, just screen out the, the drops, the combat drops. The shots they get when I stack one side are really limited. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, if they're, what if they cast it like in a ball? This doesn't have to apply to Marines. This could be any army, just in a, like in Vanguard or Quarters, it's especially viable, but even any, any deployment has a corner. So, if they just use the corner and deploy outward like a fan, how do you attack that corner? Uh, so, you'd probably sit at midfield and you'd pick on a couple units and then just try to ride. The uh, the hold more out to the end of the game. You just keep that board control. You keep the the threats of the units in deep strike. You just keep that up, and then they have to stay there. They can't afford to push out. Uh, and if they do, because they realise they're falling behind on points, then then you start picking them apart, and it becomes a really a really bad game for them. You start pulling a lot of their important units out, and then all of a sudden they've had two two turns of killing more than you. But now they've run out of steam, so now you start really making that ground back up. So you, right. the back end of your game is usually the strongest. So you, yeah, so you basically just play if they're playing so defensively, you just ignore them, let them sit in their castle for as long as you can, and hold more objectives. They might kill, kill, kill more with a thunderfire, but you, they'll you'll be able to crack that castle on later turns when they're out of time to retaliate. Is that really yeah, it? Yeah, hundred percent. And because uh, so that something really important is because I'm spending very little CP on on assault drops, is, and because I'm not dropping within twelve for all my mining lasers and stuff, a lot of the times I was actually vecting the fire twice on a thunderfire cannon. Really, you would blow your vectile on that? Yeah, man. Uh, so if there's a turn where I'm going to kill more, and the only way they're going to get butchers or even the kills is double shooting that thunderfire cannon, I'm absolutely going to vect that. Even though your vector's only once per game, you know, like if you use yep. it, you use it. 100%, 100%, man, because a lot of the time their intercept is going to be used on a unit of intercessors with stalker bolt rifles, and I'm really not fussed if they do that. That's true. Like, especially with 15 acolytes, you have that slightly larger squad, 15, 10 bolts yep. of rifle shots, it kills like seven guys. You still got every rock saw, they're still dead. Yeah, so I had no problems, no hesitation. In yeah. when they said I'm going to shoot this under fire cannon twice, I was like, no, no, you're not. I'm not dealing with that. So, and then, and then all of a sudden, on the turn where they can make that ground back up and get themselves a lead, they've just, because they've planned around this thunder fire cannon shooting twice to finish off stuff, and all of a sudden you just go, no. They've just lost right. two points. Right. So four, no. four points because they're losing two, I'm gaining two. Can I? Can I jump in and just yeah, please make sure that just make sure that I'm following this right? I'm gonna break it down into like the fast food restaurant managers because that's what I used to do way back in the day. <laughs> Interpretation of what's going on on this list. Um, so if I understand it right, basically, Gene Sealer call you have the threat of the acolytes coming in, right? Which sort of forces people to play conservatively, so they're kind of castling up in a corner, and you're kind of taking board control early, but also in today's meta there's not a lot of people teching for anti-horde so you've got like a million dudes so it like the space marines with stalker bolt rifles for example stalker bolt rifles don't make a lot of ground on um neophytes very quickly but you can also block them off from getting charges to do really effective uh clearing you out with melee because you you get to place where your your units are right and with 15 man units you can sort of screen out areas of the board and be like okay well like you can charge these 15 guys and they're going to die. And then now I get to kill you back. Is that kind of how you're playing the game? Am I understanding that right? Uh, yeah, hundred percent, man. But uh, most of the time they, they're too scared to push out with the intercessors. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So what if I, I'll say that for a more macho specific question, but um, I was going to ask how they have, if they have to trade. let's keep that for till round two. Um, what kind of secondaries would you normally pick with this army? Was it, was it kill based secondaries was it recon and engineers, even if they had thunderfires? What was your approach to that? Uh, so I tried to avoid kill-based secondaries as much as I could. Uh, I was never game enough to take engineers against thunderfire cannons. Uh, I think that's, I mean, that speaks for itself. Um, yeah, engineers were thunderfire cannons. It's kind of just saying I don't want to have the secondary. 
Yeah, it's it's a bit rough. Um, but usually recon, uh, ground control, and uh, if they had flyers, I'd go big game hunter because like I have to kill the flyers. Um, right, if I don't right. kill the flyers, I'm losing that game anyway. Yeah, it's too many shots to just take. Yeah, it's too much to take for more than a couple of turns. So they had to die. Uh, so I'd happily, I'd happily live for three points off that secondary. Uh, it's not a, it's not a problem. I wouldn't get too greedy and and try to pick something I might be able to get four on. Uh, and if they didn't have much, if they didn't have many intercessors or a good way of screening me, I, I'd take headhunter sometimes. Yeah, recon and ground control were pretty pretty common. Recon and ground control. So, was is this a list you would try to go first or second? I know Gene Stealer traditionally likes going second. Um, it just less turns your opponent gets to really play the game with you. But at the same time, if they can get up on you before your reserves come in, sometimes it can get scary. So, how would you approach that? Uh, I definitely preferred going second, especially against Marines, because they don't they just really didn't have the ability to close the gap between my deployment and theirs. Right. They're and not they jumping on top of you, just like one more shooting phase. If they try to do it too quickly, it's really easy to pull them apart from that. Right. Like if they just start moving and advancing everything off in its own direction to cover as much ground as possible, um, they're starting to move out of buffs, up buff range, or they're starting to get pretty isolated when you hit them from one side, and it's it's really easy to dismantle them from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so shifting off topic from marines for a little bit do you think like part of your list success is that you were so prepared for basically the two extremes like liam liam and his hordes or whatever other top players you expected to run their hordes they're in time out of stuff and then marine players because obviously you have to play for marine players that you kind of forewent your other matchups like the mid middle of the field tau guard uh, opposing genes to cult, uh, chaos. Did you have a plan for each of those as well? I'm just curious. We'll go into them each for the next episode. You just seem to be very uh, focused on Marines. So I want to try to guide the situation off of it to get the whole strategy. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, so I, I briefly thought about some of those other matchups. Uh, I didn't think about a GSC mirror. Uh, I just didn't really expect any GSC to show up. Uh, if, if they did, if they did, like uh, my list. The shooting side of GC actually handles the combat side of GC pretty well, because mm -hmm. um, I'm screening with trash cheap units, and they're trading with me with their expensive bombs. Right. Um, but th things like chaos and stuff, uh, I, was, I I really thought I had a really good matchup against chaos lists. They they just can't really handle a shooting GC army with all the character interaction that my list has. Yeah, like you have so many ways to kill characters. Yeah. It's just so much pressure on their characters, they just can't they can't really deal with it. And then there's so much there's so so much shooting that's good against chaos. Like all those webbers is good against chaos. Any of your demon units that are screening, like they kill you. And then any of your bigger stuff like PBCs and stuff like that really doesn't enjoy taking that many lads cannons to the face every turn. Right. So okay. none, of, none of that was a huge problem. I thought about it a little bit, uh, definitely not as much as Marines. I figured that it was probably pretty obvious that Marines going to be super dominant at CanCon, uh, and they were like like a 50% attendance for Power Armor at, uh, yeah, at CanCon. Yeah, so a lot, of my, a lot of my time definitely went into thinking about the Marine matchup. Yeah, that makes that's totally fair. So, um, you've chosen to go mono GSC and step away from the gun carpet. Um, understandably, I, I'm speaking to you personally. You just don't want to push around 300 guys. You know, that's a lot, slot. Uh, do you think the gun army would have done better or worse, or was this actually the best thing you could have brought? Is there anything you would tweak with this army to kind of maybe bring in knit allies or other gene circle options? Uh, I do. I do think the Gaunts would have done better. To be honest, uh, I I didn't really want to play them again. I was it was kind of just over that army. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't really do myself any favors by bringing 150 GSC models, but yeah, it's, it's not very different. <laughs> yeah, at least like it. Uh, it played a bit different, you know. There's a lot more 
there's a lot more cool things I could do that were pretty enjoyable to use for eight games. Whereas the playing, and I haven't really played that much GSC, to be honest. Um, whereas playing the Gaunts is like, it's just like muscle memory sort of stuff. It, I just, I just do it. There's not a whole heap of thought that goes into it anymore. So I know, I know what it needs to do. Yeah. I know what it doesn't like. Yeah. yeah. But I, but I do, I do think it would have done better. It's, uh, do you, do you think there's a way to hybridize the two lists? Maybe Gaunts with Gene Steeler Cult? Uh, do you think that would be even more powerful than either version individually? I don't. I don't think it'd be stronger. I think it'd just be different. What um, do you mean? So that? you start like you start. So investing in the gaunt side of the needs really has a lot of points that goes into it because <clears throat> uh, you need a way to stop people from wanting to charge you gaunts, uh, and then you also need to invest all the points into the stuff that gives them neg one to hit. Like yeah, you start sinking a lot of points and keeping them alive. And at that point, when you start adding a lot of GSC, you've kind of just got like two halves of the army that are trying to do the same thing and nothing that's really helping. I see. So, I mean, you don't think like a rock saw bomb supporting Gaunt could keep people away from you and then Gene Circle adding Laz Cannons basically to your Gaunt farm could actually make you kill stuff. You don't think that would be worth it or is it just trying to do too much all at once with points? Uh, you like it. If I could fit all that, it'd be awesome. But um, the yeah. reality is, not gonna you're not gonna get an, an effective amount of each for it to be worth it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not like you can take eight last cannons as a compromise and like a hundred gods as a compromise because you just half-ass both of them. And you, now you yeah, probably don't like, kill a tank, and you probably just get shot the board in two turns. Yeah, and like you, you know better than anyone how expensive. Uh, the detachment for all those mining lasers actually ends up being when you take the characters you need for it. Yeah, that is not 76 points a squad, really nice. You know, 10 guys, two last games, two Webbers. But then you have your Kellenmore, you have your Jackal Alphys that you don't really want to take. They need a Patriarch, otherwise they're all just going to run away. All of a sudden, it's a 600 point detachment. And that's all it does is show up and shoot some last games. Yeah, so it gets, it gets a bit XC for what you're getting. Yeah, exactly. No, well said. So, uh, do you think your list would handle other formats? I know in Australia, you know, you guys are very focused on the ETC right now. Uh, do you think it would handle that kind of thing well? Uh, in a probably in a team environment, absolutely. Uh, in a yeah, it's hard to say. In a singles environment against Marines, it's it, it's hard. It's a bit of a gamble thinking or knowing if the GSC will be able to stay around for six turns to be alive at the end of the game against Marines. Do you think that could just be solved by taking more bodies? Uh, possibly, yeah. But but in saying that, I, I didn't feel like I was – I didn't feel like the list was ever tapped out on turn six against Space Marines. I still felt I'm like I had sure. a lot of – I'm just looking at your 15-man neophyte squads, actually. They're, why aren't they 20-man Brothers that are also cheaper? Because uh, I, I really valued the six up inverse six up, you know, pain out of all those units. Oh, really? You thought that six up six up was worth uh, the price point? Because if you think about it, basically you're, with two stubbers and two webbers, which is what you're paying for, 15 guys is what, 69, 83, 85 points, and 20 guardsmen is 80 points. So your six up six up might save. Four or five guys, but you're just getting four or five models with the guardsmen. Yeah, I'm also getting the uh, shooting though. That's true. That's true. But against yeah. um, things like stalker rifles or whatever, you're feeling pain literally is pointless. So you're only really saving two or three guys. And does the shooting ever yeah. actually do anything? It's just a bunch of stuff. Uh, I, I, I felt like it did. Uh, shooting at things like scouts. They were good at just getting rid of scouts, and I didn't have to commit anything, any good shooting to killing them. I could just shoot them with the trash and, and be okay with it. I uh, guess, also, yeah, I'm, I'm used to a lot of lists these days not even running scouts because, like, yeah. everyone just picks up scouts like it's nothing. It's just such a liability in the Marine Mirror yeah. versus Thunderfires. So everyone in the States has pretty much stopped running scouts. It's yeah, I mean, there was, there was a lot of games where the stubbers did nothing. Uh, uh, but they they were also okay in just doing the if I if one mining laser unit left a primary marine on one wound uh, instead of having to shoot 
the next lot of las cannons or webbers or whatever i could just shoot the back the long range backfield trash from the stubbers to do that last wound gotcha so so really what you're trying to do is use minimal effort to just chip away at your opponent and just keep up in points for as long as possible and hammer him really hard at the end so it's all just a mechanism to get your army to the end game without really dying yeah, giving pretty, points. yeah pretty pretty much man uh also there's actually a lot to say for the 15 man neophytes in the brood surge detachment so uh, i completely forgot because I, I never really made use of this they actually get benefits from the brood surge it's not just acolytes yeah they get everything the acolytes get so they get access to plus one to wound and reroll charges yeah. is there anything else you would take from there or is that about it uh that's about it and then when you combine that with might from beyond they're actually good at punching on with things it's pretty funny interesting yeah it'll bump them up to strength four plus one to wound um, uh two and or three attacks each uh they go to two attacks with my from beyond and then bladed cog will let you uh reroll the wound against that one target or exploding fives to hit versus imperium yeah it could get pretty nasty and you had a primus for them i took note of that so that's one to hit as well yeah yeah so it's actually <laughs> it's actually pretty funny once they're once they're pretty crippled like you could actually finish those units off with them as opposed to a you know brood brothers probably wouldn't be able to do that yeah, that's, a, that's very true. Um, so you have 18 CP uh, to start, which is a ton. Uh, but Gene Circle have a lot to spend stuff on pregame. You want to kind of just walk us through a normal pregame scenario for you? So you have a lot of strategies that are on my books, too. Yeah, so you would usually have, uh, so you got to pay the 1 CP for Brood Surge. Uh, there was a lot of games where I didn't take the Field Commander Waller trait because I just knew I wasn't going to be getting in combat with them in times that I wanted to. Uh, so I saved a CP there. Uh, usually it would go into one or two extra relics. Um, and so usually spending one or three CP for the extra relics, uh, and then you're spending one for the extra wall of traits, uh, taking Alien Majesty on the Primus or a Patriarch, and then taking the plus D3 CP on the four-armed magus so most of the time you're averaging out and starting starting back at 18 or 17 and then because i'm not really sinking any cp into bombs wanting to get into combat i'm only really doing it once uh i can pretty much use the one cp strat to get d6 guys back every turn uh which was actually really good so you take out alien majesty you, you get your d3 extra command points um what other world traits, or did it vary at all, or was it all pretty much a scripted thing you just did every game? Um, it was pretty much just a scripted thing. So usually obsessions on the Patriarch or a Primus, um, and then Alien Majesty on the other. Yeah. And Alien Majesty is the plus three-inch aura range, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that would that would usually just go on the Primus because I've got two Patriarchs to bubble out the Fearless Aura. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you were kind of banking on Perfect Ambush Charges a little too hard for your Acolytes um, with no Claim of this, no Form, Emperor, rerolls, none of that? I guess uh, they have reroll charges if you took the banner. Would you often take the banner? Uh, most of the time I didn't, actually. Yeah, I imagine your your army gets very relic intensive, so the banner gets hectic. Um, yeah. So, did you ever find that was too unreliable, or did not? Uh, sometimes, you know? sometimes, yeah, you felt it a little bit when you failed the charge, but it's not even it, just that. You, obviously, you're going to feel it real hard when you fail a charge, but sometimes you don't feel as confident about even making the charge in the first place. So you might not go for a charge because you don't know that you have that security blanket type of thing. Did that ever happen to you? Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of games where I actually spent a turn dropping them behind all the 15-man units and drop them in cover, and then I'd make them untargetable and then and then go through the turn after. Yeah, I've done that a lot with Aberrants just because I didn't want to fail a perfect ambush charge. It's a very yeah. advanced way of thinking about the game, but the risk reward, the, the risk of failing that perfect ambush charge usually loses the game, so I try to do everything I can to rely on it. Yeah. It's and it's cool. hard, breaking. Like it's, it's hard for me. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, 
where there there's some cool stuff that I've thought of with jeans as a college would fit beautifully in your army. I'm a little sad to not see them there. Um, maybe the locusts with the the four armed emperor knives could have been a really cool detachment. That dude yeah, running yeah. in there gets like eight attacks, nine with might from beyond, strength four or five depending, and then two damage because he charged or whatever. And he's got the weird intervention stuff, which is always interesting. Did that guy cross your mind? Yeah, he def- definitely did. Um, what well, ultimately like, led you away? Uh, it was pretty much if I wanted a second alpha or not, to be honest. Interesting. I, I'm shocked you actually went for the second alpha. Every time I've ran an alpha, you got to run one for your neophytes. But the second one, I'm like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, and I was, it was hardcore, man. But I was like, uh, I back. I back myself to kill enough on the drop to warrant having the second plus one to hit. Right. That's just what your army is trying to do, I suppose. Yeah. Had to be as effective as possible on the drop. Um, it's also nice, I suppose. It's two very fast characters, which I found very useful sometimes for getting bonus points or things like that in the in certain missions. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also, it also just piles onto the, uh, character killing ability the list has yeah just ran more sniper shots and he's still d3 damage even if he's nothing special yeah mm-hmm. so when you Definitely shoot and turn this into something like you got a you got an okay chance in putting something down yeah yeah Did, um would you ever use your keller morph super aggressively like perfect ambush lying in what your keller morph and just go nuts with him uh, I almost always used him aggressively. I didn't sink that many CP into him, but right, I'm very, right. I guess when I say aggressively, I, I meant more like hyper lone ninja warrior out there to kill some tech marine thunderfire gunners or whatever it might be, a librarian, something like that. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, a lot of the time he was dropping in on his own in their backfield, mm-hmm. uh, just to be annoying, or dropping in near the rock source if there was a gap in their backfield or something really? like that. So I imagine the Kelomorph as a, a basically a mechanism to get reroll ones. He shows up, kills like an intercessor and then all your rocks, all your neophytes reroll ones though, which is just nice. Is that not that's just not what you were using him for? Uh he was originally in the list with that idea in mind, but there's yeah. just too many situations to get better use out of him. Even if he wasn't killing something, he was just being really annoying. Interesting. So people weren't like worried about him and super screening him out, or were they? And that's why he got his value. Yeah, so some, well, yeah, like some people would be thinking too much about the standard combo they've seen with him in Laz Cannoneer fights and kind of expecting him to drop in front of them. Right. To get the real ones. So there was often a, a, like a little pop that just hit him in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or even like he, he comboed well with the with the uh, Dagger Sanctus in the late game in popping one up on turn four and then the other up on turn five, just putting that real heavy pressure on their characters in the late game when their screens are gone. Gotcha. So, I mean, it all it all comes together when you say it aloud, right? So looking at his army, it looks like a pile of junk. And it kind yeah, of is, but it's a lot of junk that's, that's like – not worth dealing with and kind of hard to deal with if you don't just throw it at the other guy like normal genetical you play a very cagey you use your range bands you hit specific flanks that kind of thing and just chip away chip away chip away wait for openings to open up and try to take advantage so would you say this list is kind of predicated on your opponent making mistakes and you being able to capitalize on them or is the overall strategy of your list one that can work if your opponent plays a theoretically perfect game, uh, yeah, I think it. I think it makes it hard to play a perfect game. Uh, so obviously, yeah, it has the ability to really capitalize on mistakes, but it's also got the ability to force, kind of force you into making mistakes. Yeah, there's a million different ways to play against Gene Stokeholt, and you have a lot mm-hmm. of reactivity, which lets you adapt your strategy each way. Um, which does make it very hard. Like I've, I've never witnessed someone play a really strong game against you. Well, I don't want to say really strong. Lots of people play strong games. A, a nearly perfect game. I don't think I've ever seen someone play versus Team Cynical. But um, do you think you're so far down the rabbit hole of I need to just make you make mistakes so I can do something about it? Um, 
that if someone does just not screw up at all, you don't have an in and out. Yeah, maybe. Like, uh, it would definitely. I, w- I wasn't ever put in that situation, but it would definitely sure. make the game a lot harder. I'm, I'm kind of imagining like you versus a robotic Richard Ziegler right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, like the the thing I liked most about it was uh, this list can change gears really quickly. Like it can go from playing really cagey to playing really aggressively. Yes, that's um, a so that's a that's really where, strong thing for aggressive armies. I think and basically, then, if you're trying to run an aggressive army, it's to cut you off in this uh, in this day and age. You need to be able to just pump the brakes and go full reverse in one turn, which is uh, yeah. it's something Gene Steeler Cole and Eldar have in common, but most of the armies just can't pull off. Yeah, so we, like because of that, it makes it really hard to play a perfect game against this list because you don't know, like you don't, you don't know exactly how I'm thinking about piecing all this together to to put it put it on the table against you. So like if you if you read it slightly wrong and you think I'm gonna put the brakes on for a turn and and you kind of overextend a little bit, like all of a sudden I just go, oh, well, no, that's not what I was doing. This this is it. Like here's everything. I'm putting right. the entire list into you in this turn. I guess part of King's Theater called is, is as the opponent. You waited out until turn three, and then obviously you might still be able to return to the Shadows thing unit, probably your Oxos. But, um, I mean, it could be your Locust, or your uh, Sanctus, whatever. But you're ultimately just... Once once you hit turn three, all the Gene called stuff comes in, the game is kind of linear. As linear as Gene Cold can get. It's like, they're here, let's deal with it. Yeah, and, and going second with that against lists that aren't set up to kill hordes is is huge. Uh, like if you, you, you're taking three turns off their game, taking three turns off a list that already can't really fight a horde and now it's lost three turns in trying to shoot at you, it's horrendous for them. Right, right, right. It's just they, they end up with three turns to kill 100 50, 180 dudes that are all putting pressure on them. And I'm not just taking your full list's worth of shooting. I'm also taking things off you. Yeah. So in a format like Adepticon, or not Adepticon, well, Adepticon, but ETC is what I'm asking. Um, they have random game length going from five, six, or seven. Would your army want the game to end on five just so you can avoid Absolutely. as many shooting phases as possible and just get in there do your damage and be done with it yep 100 percent. yeah that makes a lot of sense just because um, like the, just the nature of gc they can do that explosive damage really quickly they don't need a lot of time to kill the things they're good at killing and the way people usually beat gsc is it's in like turn six and turn seven or turn five in some cases where it's like they've blown their load it's all over Time to get and get the broom and clean up. Sweepy time. Uh, but yeah, if you don't give them that chance because you just wait and wait and wait, it can be brutal. Yeah, so that, that leads to the thing where if you're playing Assault GSC, where I think uh, MSU Rock Saws is the way forward because the problem with GSC is they run out of steam. After you commit everything, they run out of steam when they can kill a couple of units of 15 acolytes but if you make them have to split all that firepower across your army or their counter charge across your army uh they they can't do that anymore so all of a sudden you're not just left with characters on turn six you've still got like a lot of small units running around right so to that end i guess in the beginning phases of the game you're always just trying to get as many points as you can until you really do that damage are you trying to are you willing to like lying in wait like a brute brother squad or even a neophyte squad just to show up within three inches and take all the objectives away from the other guy, get a bonus point out of it maybe? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought so. That's something I would always do with GSC. It's very hard to defend against and people don't just don't see it coming. Yeah, um, it's also amazing to do like if you return to shadows one of the fifteen many it's on turn five and then you're lying in wait on turn six and you take all the ground controls. Like, you can just steal the game away from them just oh, with yeah. that. Well, back when you could leave units out until turn six or whatever, mm-hmm. I would so basically <laughs> always ground control <laughs> and then just wait forever. Very good. So good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, I love playing this army. It was it was awesome. It was, it was awesome. a lot of That's great. 
a lot of, lot of options. Not It's not locked into having to do one thing all the time. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's one of my favorite. Jinx Cults are probably my favorite army I played in the 8th edition. There's just endless options. Um, so, I mean, that pretty much wraps it up in my questions. John, do you have anything else you want to add as far as what strategy? No, I... I, I actually really appreciate the discussion and much respect, Eric, for playing um, a very non-traditional list into a difficult meta. Like that's that's man. the fact. Let's respect that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy is—he's a wizard, Harry. Like, I, don't know how, I don't know how to describe him, but uh, but thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. I think I'm really looking forward to actually digging into some of the matchups because I I feel like your game is very nuanced, right? Where sometimes, like we just talked to Siegler, right? And his game is also very nuanced, but not in the same way. Because a lot of matchups, his his Iron Hand death ball is just like, well, we kind of stand there. They shoot and kill four intercessors, and then I take everything away from well, him. I mean, it's that's actually kind of, totally yeah. obvious, John. I'm glad you brought that up. Siegler, yeah. if you look at his interview, everything was predetermined. He knew how to play every match, and he figured it out all before he got to the table. And Eric, being Gene Circle, the nature of Gene Circle, is I have every tool that they put on this earth and uh, it's up to me to figure it out in the moments so that's why in the beginning of this kind of episode uh the eric was like against this i do this against this i do this which is usually what we save for part two but that's how you have to play genes cult there is no overall strategy or if there is it's very hard to find the strategy changes entirely on your situation so our magic discussion next episode for patrons is going to be so much i don't want to say better because this episode is really good but i want to say so much more valuable i guess for knowing how to specifically handle each scenario whereas the general concepts of gsc are very fluid all right so you heard it here folks we're going deep so patrons why don't you come on over and join us uh, on the patreon if you haven't signed up for the patreon yet what are you waiting for it is literally the best value in your entertainment dollar if you want to learn how to become better at competitive 40k right now there's like 25 26 27 hours something like that of content available to all of our patrons. It's going to cost you a mere $6 to get access to all of that content. Plus, every week we add more to it, right? So it becomes a better and better value as we go across time. It's um, also thank- the best value you can ever get for listening to my beautiful voice once a week. So six bucks, take my money. all right so uh thanks again for tuning into this part of episode one as always you can find us on the frontline gaming network which is the best network for competitive players if you want to get a wide gamut of really good information that applies to you the competitive player you should definitely go and subscribe on the frontline gaming network you get to get us number one the best podcast uh competitive podcast in 40 gay that's a shot at val just because he says that every time that we're second best Um, You get 40K Stat Center, which is great because it keeps you abreast of what's going on in the meta. You get signals from the front line, which gives you what's coming down the pipe. They're really good of kind of like giving you the news and notes of of all the things that are getting released and sort of a preview of what what the new meta might look like. And last but not least, we get Pablo and the boys over at Chapter Tactics. Uh, They have great players like Brandon Grant, um, Scary, and they have lots of other guests, Sean Morgan. And they dig deep into um, more conceptual things about 40K, which is pretty interesting discussion. So seriously, guys, do yourselves a favor. Jump over, subscribe to the Frontline Gaming Network, and uh, maybe toss us a review. And before I forget, we've forgotten to mention this a couple of times, Nick and I are recorded a special goals episode. So if you want to listen to us talk about how to set 40K goals, that is a completely free podcast that we give out to anybody that writes us a review on Facebook. So all you have to do is find us on Facebook. We're real easy to find, Art of War 40K, AOW 40K on Facebook. Write us a review. Uh, send a screenshot to aow40k at gmail.com and I will send that episode right out to you. And it's it's actually a pretty good listen. So uh, with that being said, thanks for tuning in. Peace and love everyone and we'll see you in the second episode. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at aow40k.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Natavati and John Damaris. 
produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.